Hi, and welcome to the Vocational Education Podcast. And welcome to episode number two. Today in store for you, we have an interview with Tracy Flitcroft, an experienced RTO operator and now um, a business owner of Newer Horizons, a consulting service in the vocational education industry. We also have a discussion with Lee, and uh, a bit later in the show, we have uh, Terry's tips. Terry's going to join us quickly for some uh, tips about delivery. That's going to be a regular thing in the show, and hopefully we'll see some very cool ideas presented from him in the future. Anyway, let's get on to some news to start with, and uh, let's have a look at what is online. Now, recently published on the NCVER is uh, some research titled The Value of Completing a Vet Qualification. Now, this was undertaken by the Managing Director of NCVER, Tom Carmel, and uh, colleague Peter Figer, or Figer. Sorry if I've pronounced that incorrectly, Peter. Now, it was interesting because um, with previously published figures indicating overall completion as low as 27%, there's real interest out there in the community as to whether it is valuable to complete an entire qualification. Uh, unlike the curriculum in high schools where there's a set pattern of science, maths, um, even religion, but there's things taught in a certain pattern. When completing a VET qualification, it is an industry-based skill set that has been predetermined, not predetermined, but determined by industry consultation. Now anyway, some of the key messages, and I'll just read from the research uh, the four key messages. Number one is that completion of a VET qualification is beneficial on average across all of the outcome variables that they considered in their research. The overall payoff for completion is greatest for the further study outcome. Now, this is in inverted commas, the further study outcome, with the likelihood of a graduate engaging in further study more than double that of a non-completer. I guess that's kind of intuitive. We're thinking, you know, if someone has the gumption, the intestinal fortitude to complete something, then chances are they will go on and complete other things later. So in this case, further study. The third key message is in relation to being employed after training, those students who are not employed prior to training benefited greatly from the completion of their qualification. Now, I would assume a lot of that is uh, in regard to trade certificates. Obviously, if you're completing a um, an apprenticeship or even a traineeship and you don't complete, then your chances of employment after that are somewhat diminished. And last but not least, the two groups for whom there is a significant payoff for completion are those undertaking diplomas and above, and those who are not employed before training and who are undertaking a certificate three or four. So that takes me back to my previous point. The money's there for those who are completing traineeships and apprenticeships, i.e. Cert 3 and Cert 4. And there is a significant payoff for those who are employed who then also complete a diploma. Now, anecdotally, and also from uh, you know, the people I've spoken to, which I suppose is an anecdote, you do see a lot of people actually achieving some sort of promotion through work or maybe even sidestepping and going into a different career path because of the vocational education they've undertaken. So to wrap up, uh, the value of completing a VET qualification is there. Um, however, it is also interesting to see that... Um, a lot of students believe that they acquire the skills through the qualification or, and they don't necessarily have to complete the entire curriculum or you know, be awarded a statement of attainment 
to get value from it. So the completion isn't the entire measure of value in this case. Well, productivity is a major challenge for our economy, which is why each and every day we work on the drivers of productivity. Uh, the skills agenda of government, the education agenda has been one of our principal drivers and will continue to be. That's reforming everything from early childhood education through schools, through the huge expansion we've engaged in of university places, 150,000 more. And then at the last COAG meeting, we agreed a major vocational education package with the states and territories uh, to bring benefits to students who want new skills like the benefit of HEX that is like university students you don't have to have the money up front you can get a do a course get new skills when you're earning higher income because of those skills pay back your course costs so very big driver of productivity This of course is Prime Minister Julia Gillard back in late June this year now, the national training system that she was referring to is a part of a $1.75 billion package designed to accelerate the skills reform. A part of that is the launch of MySkills Australia or the MySkills website. Very exciting, actually. This is a, um, a collection of previously fragmented websites, including what used to be one of my favourites, which is training.com.au. And... Um, Anyway, this particular site now packages all the necessary information for VET into the one place. On top of that, she was talking about the fee help or VET fee help. This will enable up to 60,000 students per year to defer upfront costs so that they'll no longer have any sort of barrier to training. Students will be able to defer the payment of their study until they're earning in excess of $47,000 per annum. So again, put yourself in uh, the trainee's position or in the uh, apprentice's position. When they graduate, when they get into full-time work, at that point in time, if they're earning over $47,000 per annum, they can start paying it back, which is great. It puts us back into the same sort of realm as university. That being said, it is a bureaucratic requirement to register, to make sure the paper trails work, just like any other government-funded provision. So if you're involved in that, I'd love to hear from you. And in order to hear from you, all I need from you is some sort of post on our, uh, on our Facebook page. So look us up, the Vocational Education Podcast, and please leave us a comment or some information about perhaps if you're involved in Vet Fee Help and how it's worked for you and the pitfalls and the uh, opportunities that it offers. And now it's time for Terry's Delivery Tip of the Week. My, my tip of the week is, is something that's often brought up to me by students who've been in other courses. Uh, as, as a facilitator, uh, when you're standing up, you're in front of a group of people in a, in a classroom type environment. One of the major mistakes that a lot of people make is to stand still, to find one spot on the floor and stick to it like you're either attached by a lucky band or glued to the floor. So I think that the main idea is uh, if move about, you know, interact with the people on, on your training course, walk around behind them, it, it helps to both keep their attention and, and those that uh, are trying to catch a few quiet um, long blinks, um, you keep them off balance too because they never know if you're going to turn up behind them. It manages to magnetise yourself in the eyes of, of the learners. Excellent tip. Thanks, Terry. And remember, if you've got a tip, send it to our uh, Facebook site and we'll talk about it, we'll discuss it. If you don't agree with Terry's tip, great. By all means, send in your 
opinion. We've all got different experiences out there and whatever you can bring to the plate, we'll be glad to listen to and share with others. Thanks very much. Well, thanks, Lee, for joining me yet again. Uh, Today, I wanted to talk about that NCBER research paper that's been brought out specifically about the, um, the value in completing a full qualification in VET. You know, talking about the statistics that are, bring, uh, that are brought up in that particular article, that those statistics can be taken, you know, as read because they're not necessarily comparing apples with apples. I think that the, um, the qualifications are necessary these days and, and VOCET is a very, very good way of getting those qualifications because the employment scene these days is such that it's difficult to get a job and people are actually looking for that piece of paper. Well, one, one, of, one of the things that I've seen raised by some people who have the VET qualifications without the tertiary or vice versa is that, you know, great, you're getting these VET qualifications, but they are not as robust as what you get from university. How do you respond to that? I don't think that's necessarily true. I think university teaches you a lot of theory, and, of course, that has its 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 place. Uh, vocational education, however, I believe is a lot more hands-on, and I think it does have some very, very intrinsic value. Um, you know, if you look at things like the IPSA or the, uh, the, the Service of Skills Australia's uh, environmental uh, scans that are on their websites at the moment, I don't know whether anyone's actually read those things, but it talks about people in various different industries, particularly the professional industries, not actually having any qualifications. Now, you know, people like lawyers, et cetera, will have qualifications, you know, in terms of having law degrees and so on and so forth. But it talks about the fact that they don't actually have any business acumen. They don't know how to to lead people. They don't know anything about human resources. They don't know anything about how to run an actual business. And that's the type of thing that vocational education can teach you. I went and and completed, as you know, an MBA. And I, I believe an MBA prepares you for all those things that you just mentioned. However, that's a master's degree. Not many people have the time or money to go and, uh, and do a master's degree just to get that basic acumen when that's, they complete a uni degree. However, yeah, right. Yeah, and and if you're a um if you're in business and you need some skills to upskill you in say leading leading a team or or even basic human resource information or finance, then maybe your vet course is what you need. I absolutely think it is. Um, As you say, I mean, not everyone has the time or the inclination to go through the whole university thing. I mean, it takes years to go through a university degree. How long did it take you to get your master's? A a period of time. (laughs) Not everybody has that time or the inclination. I personally would not want to sit down now and actually do a university degree at at, uh, my stage. Do you think that there's a um, a standard perhaps that... now Now, we do have the training package standards that we are supposed to train to by we I mean the entire industry is supposed to train to but do you think that is being maintained no and that's where the problem lies I think is that the standards themselves are excellent there's nothing wrong with the way these you know the units or the 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 courses have been put together what is lacking is the fact that the that the training itself perhaps doesn't take place as it should, uh, particularly if it's being done uh, by way of an apprenticeship or a traineeship. Mm. You know, you may have your trainer come out and see you once every month or once every three months, I've heard in some cases. Yeah. That's training. Yeah, so, so part of the research actually said that, you know, the, the greatest amount of benefit financially for people undertaking a vet was those who didn't have employment prior and completed a cert three or four. 
So that yes. we're talking about trainees, we're talking about apprentices. Um, and then there was another little uh, blip in the data for people who already had a job who then did a diploma or above as well, which I guess makes sense. So going back to that point, those people who are looking for work, sure, do you think that, that VET is a much less expensive or more practical way of getting into the workforce? I think it is, uh, especially since, I mean, we all know that the, the productivity placement program has finished now, but there are still uh, funding opportunities available where a person can get that education without having to dip into their own funds too much. Uh, plus, you've also got vet fee help. Yeah. Um, I do think that vocational education has a place in getting a person a job. Now, we just raised before um, the, the Julia Gillard clip that I played earlier was uh, all in regards to announcing the vet fee-help funding stimulus, if you like, through COAG. Are you seeing that being applied uh, at the moment? Is it, is it a case of, you know, the, the, the large RTOs who have the capability of processing the paperwork uh, are taking that up and the smaller ones are dropping off? Or, or is it just, um, you know, whoever was in that sort of government-funded uh, education is still in that government-funded education? I think they might be, but I think it might also be a question of the fact that there are so many different types of uh, funding opportunities available out there that a lot of RTOs may not necessarily be picking up on those. You know, you've got things like the National Workforce Development Fund, uh, and there's a, there's another one out there for people over a certain age can do RPLs at, uh, at a certain cost, funded by the government as well. I'm not sure that the smaller RTOs, the ones that don't actually have time to go hunting for this stuff, actually know about them. Yeah, that's true. Look, in our experience, and uh, you and I have both come across this, where we've seen um, it's not RTOs in general, it's it's a lack of persistence on behalf of the individual to go out there and actually uh, look for and, and know how to get that government funding to help their students. Yes, that's true. And I mean, a lot of the funding that's available these days actually has to be applied for by the enterprise themselves. So, you know, it is a little bit more difficult to access funds to get people trained these days. We'll now get on to uh, an interview with Tracy Flitcroft. Uh, she's going to cover some other information now. But um, look, thank you again for your time and we'll catch up again next week. Okay, no worries, Dan. All right. Well, I have Tracy Flitcroft with me. Uh, she's joining us on the show today. Tracy is from NUA Horizons, or I guess it's pronounced Newer Horizons. That's correct. Excellent, Tracy. Tell us a bit about Newer Horizons. Um, okay. Um, well, the business runs around RTO setup. Uh, that's one of the things that we we mainly do. Um, we also do internal auditing and continuous improvement for RTOs. Yeah. Um, as well as um, we do uh, mentoring and coaching of RTO staff. Um, we have a team of writers also, so we write uh, assessment material, assessment and, and sometimes training material. Would I be right in saying that you started this yourself? I did. I did start it myself, and uh, I'm still the, the only director and owner of the business. Do you see that a lot in vocational education at the moment? There's a lot of people going out on their own, and why do you think that is? I think basically, you know, if they're going out on their own from after working for an RTO, there'd be some dissatisfaction <laughs> after working for an RTO, um, mostly around from my, and I can only really speak from my experience. I've managed an RTO before, and uh, what I found is that it's a lot of work. Mm. 
and you know you you really have to fill in the gap so if not at the you know the administrative person's not there that's what you've got to do if the trainer's not there you might be called in to train and um, I found that you know I suffer from burnout very mm. very quickly do, um, do you so, think you really need to be a jack of all trades as an RTO manager these days oh absolutely you, yeah. you, you need to be across everything but I think that to be successful at it, you need to be able to delegate really well mm. and, uh, and and keep your focus on what your job is rather than, uh, you know, try and fill in the gaps all the time. Yeah. Uh, can you give the listeners a bit of a background about your history in vet? You mentioned an RTO manager. What, what have you done in the vet industry in the past? Okay, so I've, I've spent about 25 or 20-odd years <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you too much there, um, in um, Commonwealth and state government. So I've worked in a lot of different areas. I worked, I've worked in the CES for employment, um, but I've done um, off-study and, and community employment programs for the Commonwealth. Uh, with the state, uh, I've worked in um, user choice. You might have heard that for apprentices and, and trainees funding and strategic purchasing um yeah, so just about, uh, you know, purchasing training, basically, mm. from industry and RTOs, yep. um, managing RTOs. Um, so I've got a really good idea of how RTOs work from that. I, I've also gone out into work for uh, DEIR, which is, I'm not sure what it's called now, but it was called DEDI at one stage. So I worked for um, the um, Employment and Indigenous Initiatives there. So I worked with community and, and uh, Indigenous organisations organisations and uh, that was around uh, you know the funding that was available through spilling Queenslanders for work and so I managed uh, their programs yep. including the first up program. Tell us about some of the positives you see in the uh, vet industry at the moment so uh, you know what, what things are happening right now that you see as a big positive to where things might be in the next five to ten years? Okay, well, um, I think firstly I see the, they're redesigning the training packages. So I see that as a good thing um, yeah. because there is a lot of duplication. There's a lot of, uh, you know, it's difficult to understand at the moment and unpack it when you're trying to write assessment bills and whatever. Um, so streamlining those and, and uh, across all industries will be really good. Now that may take some time, but yeah. it's... It, it started, so that's a really positive thing. Mm. And I, I particularly like the fact that it started with the TAE and, and business training packages. Uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think it's uh, a great place to start. Ah, it is, yeah, start with the trainer. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's a good thing. Um, I see a lot, you know, the social media is really making a difference mm. um, because people are putting their issues out there on LinkedIn and Facebook and, and Twitter. And, and that's good because we're getting discussions going and uh, a lot of good is coming out of that. There's mm. also a lot of negativity, but there's there's a lot of positive outcomes uh, from that. And it's a good way to, to link in with professionals for free. Yeah. Of- Actually, I, I noticed that you're a VETIG or, um, yeah, well, VETIG member. Um, yeah. They're the Vocational Education Training Industry Group. Do you, what are the benefits of, a, of um, being a part of a group like that, do you think? Uh, from my point of view, it's um, I'm on their consultant register, so that's about getting out there, my profile out there, I guess. Yeah, okay. uh, from, 
from an RTO's point of view, um, they run a lot of really, really good workshops, targeted workshops uh, for RTOs. They have a lot of information on their website. So if you're a member, you can go into the back end and you can find out what uh, different things that are going on. Um, they have one of the leading consultants who, who runs that show, John Dwyer. Yeah, and he's great. Now, I met him when I was working for government. I participated in the leadership program. And uh, and he coordinated that, and I met him for, through that process, uh, and that was great. Yeah, I don't think I've met a person who doesn't hold John on a pedestal. He's uh, he's definitely got a great reputation in the industry, doesn't he? Oh, he's got so much up there in his head. Mm. No, uh, <laughs> it's going to be he'd be very very hard to replace in this industry. If you had a magic wand, and I'm talking a magic wand, what would you do to fix the industry? Well, let's start from a training point of view. I think that, um, number one, and this is based on, I suppose, a a discussion that started at LinkedIn recently, and that is um, to put the qualification up a little bit for those who are training the TAE. So, Oh, and trainers, you know, all together, I think that they need to hold um, a higher level qualification. Uh, so I'd fix that <laughs> yeah. and bring that in. Uh, that they, I, I believe that they personally need something like the Diploma of VET, where they've got, or the Diploma and the Diploma of Training, Design and Development, where they've got a an overview of the whole industry. Um, uh, of course, the chicken and egg comes into play there because the Diploma of VET, as wonderful it is, uh, uh, you need to be a trainer to be able to do it. So hence the chicken and egg. Um, to get into the door, is that cert for enough? I don't believe it is, no. Yeah. Um, I really don't. I mean, I have it myself um, and I also have the Diploma of Vet and the Diploma of Training Design Development. Mm. And the other two higher qualifications just uh, have so much more to offer. And I think if you're in this, this industry, you just need something yeah, that little bit that little bit higher than the, the TAE. Mm. So so could we refer to the TAE as your P-plates perhaps? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it does give you a, a good overview. Mm. Um, but to be a successful trainer across industry, you really need to have um, some more uh, training in things like designing assessment tools and um, validation, which, you know, they don't do enough of. And how about uh, LLN or Language Literacy and Numeracy? There was talk when the Diploma of Vet was coming out uh, back in, this is uh, October last year now, so October 2011, there was talk that the LLN unit from the Cert 4 would become a core unit and that there would be a new Level 5 unit introduced in the Diploma. Now, for reasons beyond me at the moment, that hasn't happened. Um, do you think that would be a good thing if it did happen? I looked at the, the Cert 4 level that they've got in there and then um, when I was writing against it, I, I went up to the vocational graduate level and had a look at the LLN stuff there and there was just a little bit more and I thought I'd like to offer my participants a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so I went into that. So, yeah, I think they need something in between. Yeah, there's not a lot of coverage of the Australian Core Skills Framework in the Cert 4 level. I mean, they, they brush over it saying this is what you need, but they don't teach you how to, well, develop tools in line with that. No, there isn't. And and uh, that's what I've done with my program is I've incorporated some of that and some uh, tools uh, to great. use to unpack it a bit from the, like the, from the training package. Uh, I think it was around 47% of Australians, working Australians, have a level 
um, two or less uh, language literacy and numeracy skill level. Uh, to put that into perspective for all listeners, level three is the level you need to get by in the world. So almost half the population don't have that. Has that been your experience? Absolutely, and it doesn't surprise me at all. It's quite frightening. And I look at how they teach it in schools even now, mm. and, um, you know, it's just not there. It's not um, – and you know what? Uh, look, one of my really big um, head hates is um, – because I have I have one child still in school, mm. and and my other two, you know, obviously went through the system, and they're in their twenties now. Um, but you know, it's learning styles because what what they seem to lack as teachers and um, is that they don't assess the students' learning style when they go to teach them. So there seems to be, and it's not it's not across it's not everyone. Um, but they, they're not uh, looking at the kinesthetic learner or the even the visual learner as much as they do the audio learner. So, the, you know, they, they cater well for the audio learner. They stand up there and talk in front of a class. And, and those that are good at, um, you know, that have that kind of learning style, they do well. But it's the kinesthetic learner, and I have two daughters and myself who are kinesthetic learners uh, mixed with visual and, um, you know, my two girls have struggled. Yeah, I wonder how we could actually apply that to to VET, not VET in schools, but VET in general. I think it's already applied uh, to, so, I mean, I, do, I think it depends on the quality of the facilitator, but the facilitators that I've worked with um, in recent times have been very high quality, mm. and the one that I'm um, co-facilitating next year with um, you know, she does it really well and, and she assesses learning styles right from the outset. So, you know, when we have our first day of program next year, mm. we'll be looking at the learning styles of um, the participants and that will carry over to our next workshop, which talks about LLN because okay. um, learning styles is then important when you're addressing LLN uh, needs. Do you actually formally assess the learning styles or do you do it um, sort of informally by just uh, observing no, we do it formally through a back. Yeah, I'm a big fan of um, experiential learning as a learning style, the, the um, David Kolb rotating circle, if you like. Um, there are lots of different kinds of learning styles out there, and that's actually something we're covering in another program, to be honest. But um, there, there's also quite a bit out there debunking the use of learning styles as well. You seem to be more on the, definitely on the, on, in favour of learning styles, or, or at least uh, appreciating them. Do, do you think there's um, a case to be made that perhaps if we just address all the learning styles all the time, then we'll paintbrush the whole cohort, if you like, student cohort, so they'll all get something out of it. I believe that there's a lot to that, yeah. Uh, it would be, it's pretty hard, mind you. Mm. You have to be very good at what you do as a facilitator yeah. to address yeah. every learning style. But if you, can, if you can at least attempt to do that, which is not being done in schools, no, um, no. Then, then I think that we're going to address the um, the issue of literacy and numeracy out there. Yeah. We have to address it in schools first before, you know, they go out into the world of vet or the world of uni or wherever it is they're going. Mm. Um, from there, we, we need to address it very early on. I'm, I'm sort of talking more, you know, late primary. 
Uh, look, we might leave it there. Um, Tracy Flickcroft, thank you so much. Before we go, though, I'd like you to spruik your business a bit. Tell, tell us uh, how people can contact you and um, what sort of services you can uh, you can offer them. I can be uh, contacted through my through my website, um, which is www.ensuretrainingcompliance.com.au and uh, or by email at info at ensuretrainingcompliance.com.au. Uh, I also am on LinkedIn and Facebook, so you can look up Newer Horizons, so that's NUA Horizons Consulting Services on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, um, and at Newer Horizons it is on Twitter. Yep. Um, you can phone me on 0400-219-240, and um, I'll probably talk to you about, about you know what your needs are. Um, we do have consultants in um, Victoria and New South Wales, um, but and I'm based in Queensland here in Brisbane, but I also travel interstate as well. Oh, that's outstanding. Well, hopefully listeners can take you up on that. And, um, and look, again, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. All right. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Tracy. Okay. Thank okay. you. The Vocational Education Podcast is made possible by your contributions. You can comment on any of those issues raised in this podcast or raise one for a future podcast by visiting our Facebook page. Just search for Vocational Education Podcast and leave us a comment. The music we use on this podcast is kindly made available by Dano at danosongs.com.